Did a dealer really bring more than 300 carded vintage Star Wars figures to sell at the Cincinnati Toy Show? Every October, collectors reunite and return to the city that birthed Kenner's iconic run of Star Wars action figures for a toy and collectible-themed weekend. And once you're in Cincinnati, there's so much to do. The weekend is often packed with collector's meals, trips to antique malls and local toy shops, and a Saturday night room sales event to buy, sell, and trade prototypes and production pieces. Star Wars fans and enthusiasts take tours of some of Cincinnati's historic sites, as well as some amazing collections owned by those who live in the area. And the draw for this year's weekend was not just the Cincinnati Toy Show on Sunday, October 2nd, but a second toy show the day before. Visitors had the opportunity to shop the 600-table Great Ohio Toy Show located about an hour away in the City of Hospitality, Xenia, on that Saturday. In the first episode of the Cincinnati series, you and I sat down with two wonderful collectors to talk about the events of the recent toy show weekend. And it was great to hear Dan Uthman and David Kevin White recount personal, funny, and profound memories from their trip. And since I couldn't be there in person this year, I wanted to talk to a number of collectors to get a fuller idea of what the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend was like. And today, we are going to hear from three collectors who have incredible stories to share with us. This is part two of the Cincinnati Toy Show Weekend Series. This is a collection of stories from three special Star Wars fans. This is Cincinnati at its strangest, its most stunning, and its most connective. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. and Mike Esposito are two collectors who met and fell in love through their shared love of Star Wars and vintage toys. And this year, they hosted a Friday night meetup at their home for visitors traveling to Cincinnati for the weekend. And from there, they embarked on an incredible series of adventures as they shopped both shows and the room sales and joined their friends for an impromptu tour of a one-of-a-kind collection and toy studio. I've asked them to join us today and to share their thoughts on what the weekend was like from the perspective of a local collecting couple. But before we talk to Mike and Vicky, I'd like to introduce you to my friend Tony Kramer. 
His story is a really unique one, as he and his family have been hunting for Star Wars toys since the films premiered in theaters, and have owned a toy store for 50 years. Tony set up at the Cincinnati Toy Show this year, and I thought it would be fun to hear what the weekend was like as a dealer and longtime collector. Tony will be joining us shortly, so in the meantime, grab your favorite beverage, and while we're waiting, feel free to leave a quick review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. It only takes a few seconds and will really help to get the word out to other Star Wars fans and collectors. I'm going to say a huge thank you in advance, because it really means so much to me. And I'm excited to share these moments and episodes with your friends and our future friends. And it's only possible through your help. So thank you for making a positive impact through your support. I'll go get Tony now, and then we'll speak with Vicky and Mike. Get ready for some great conversations about collecting and connecting from the Cincinnati Toy Show Weekend. Tony Kramer, I've wanted to have you on for a long time. Uh, I'm so glad that we get to do this. Uh, you and I have had some amazing conversations over the years, and um, I was not able to come visit you in Cincinnati this year, but uh, I, I really wanted to hear your experience. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Was Cincinnati uh, a, a good weekend for you? Cincinnati was a strange weekend for me. <laughs> okay, that's a start. Um, so as you know, and a few other people are probably aware, we largely, by we, I mean my family, largely do the CTS promotion shows. Um, Columbus is always our big selling one. Cincinnati is a roll of the dice. When... I say that, I mean, you literally never have any idea what kind of show Cincinnati is going to be until it's halfway over. And you and I, we met at the Columbus Toy Show in 2017, and that always sticks out in my mind because uh, you that was, I think, the first show that you did, and, and you brought some incredible stuff. Uh, can, you, can you give me an idea of, and- of the type of stuff that you had? That's also the show where we bought the life-size R2-D2. <laughs> um, so that was really our first at-bat jumping back into the show circuit after taking a break for about 22 years. Um, so just for a little bit of background, I am a first-generation Star Wars kid. I was born in 1980. My parents have, for as of this year, had for 50 years a hobby, craft, and art supply store. So I grew up with them selling stuff, the Star Wars stuff, as it was coming out. So they used to order a few extra cases so I can pick through looking for the figures that I was missing 
but as of like being born in 1980, that's a little too late for some of the really spectacular stuff. And that meant they put the call out to buy everybody's used toys. And for almost a hundred mile radius, they about depleted the market. <laughs> so they were living the dream, the collector's dream, where this stuff was at clearance at places like Toys R Us, and you and your family were just scooping them up for your toy store. They started collecting, or rather hoarding, in 1982, <laughs> for perspective. Um, by 1985, we had managed to get in contact with some Kenner employees, and we were buying factory overstock, truckloads at a time. <laughs> I mean, so, I've heard that a few times, but that is amazing to hear. It really is. Well, it shouldn't be a shock to the guy that's got a mason jar of our lightsabers. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Over 100 and counting. <laughs> um, so um, when I met you, though, we met at – it was um, September of 2017 at, at Columbus. How, what What type of stuff did you have? So we brought around 250 Kenner Baggied figures of about mm, 45 different characters. We also brought around 150 carded figures, um, Empire through Power of the Force. And those took a while to sell, right? A long time. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) We also brought some boxed vehicles, and like um, I think there was Rebo Band, Dubacks, um, some of the, we had fire carts and woodland carts, mini rigs, um, just a lot of leftover, a little bit nicer end overstock. So stuff's all shelf worn, but sealed. Um, uh, cause we weren't, you know, we had taken a break. We really got burnt out after power of the force two, or rather we got burnt out before power of the force two from shows. So we kept kind of buying stuff, but not really doing shows for about 20 years. This was really our first big show after deciding to ramp back up into it. And even though we collected the whole time and collected stuff that was coming out, um, we hadn't really tested the waters yet. So we decided to crack open the Vader head full of blue snaggletooths and... (laughs) um, Just all the stuff that we had been hoarding and which was only a tiny fraction of a percent of what we had at one point, we had a 45,000 square foot store and a 15,000 square foot warehouse of Star Wars for many, many years, which is, you know, a little. (laughs) So it's a little much. Yes. We got to Columbus. We clearly were the new kids on the block. I didn't even know about the Columbus show, really. We were set up at a little Dayton one like two weeks earlier, and James happened to come by. James Ford, the the, yeah. uh, the head of, of CTS Promotions. And I had a, a carded size from he really wanted. So, And it was a beater. Somebody had literally cut the coin out, but it was still a sealed size from. Um, so we worked out a good price for it. And in there, he threw in table rent for Columbus. Like, yeah, we'll try Columbus. Having no idea. We got one table. 
<laughs> that one table had two van loads of stuff crammed into it. <laughs> and we completely sold out during setup. Right. So setup is, it takes place the day before the show. So if the show is on a Sunday, uh, setup usually starts around four o'clock uh, Sunday afternoon, I mean, Saturday afternoon. And yeah, you were, you were basically sold out uh, and, and having to drive home and, and to get a, an entirely new inventory. The crazy part of that is Columbus is two hours away from our place and I'm two hours in a different direction. So we, when I say we sold out, nobody came up and bought the lot. We literally sold all but two of the carded figures to individuals. We sold half of all of the loose stuff we brought. We sold everything boxed we had. And James had this rule that your tables have to be full at the start of early buying or you're not invited back. And we didn't know how serious he would be about that, but it was our first show. We're like, oh, no, we got we to gotta find a way to restock. So we drove home and spent until four in the morning pulling together an entire second toy show lot. So we showed up that next morning in the hour of prep time before early buyers, and we completely set up a booth all over again. I want to thank you for that because (laughs) I got home, looked at what I had purchased, and said, I have to go back to Cincinnati next month. (laughs) So... How was okay? So, how was your Cincinnati weekend this weekend then? Because you and I, again, we met in Columbus, and then we've seen each other at every one of these these shows, and we've spent time together. Uh, unfortunately, I was unable to be there this time. But um, was was this? You had mentioned it was a strange weekend for you. Why? It was a very strange weekend. So, we are. I think it's safe to say that our booth is pretty well purely Star Wars and vintage, except about a third of what we bring is stuff that I make. I produce my own line of toys, um, which do fairly well. And when we do a typical toy show, we sell eh, somewhere between 25 and 100 carded figures. And we'll do a pretty good hit in the loose and baggied figure case. we got a lot of baggied collectors used to come up. Um, Cincinnati, first of all, the show never got busy. There was never a point where there was only standing room. It was very sparse. Early buyers, that hour had ended and people, some of the vendors hadn't even realized that people would come in yet. Um, but the real magic of that show happened the night before, Now, during the show, we sold a lot of things that are not normal for us to sell. Um, I did pretty well on animation cells, um, like Make It, Bake It's, um, Records, uh, a lot of the little knick-knack things, iron-on patches, uh, I think record totes, um, just... Not the normal toy shows. Oh, and play sets missing almost everything, just like play set bases and stuff, which was really super strange. 
There were a few carded figures, yeah. There was some loose figures, yes. Almost nothing Power of the Force, which was shocking to me. But the night before, the only sale we had during setup, which usually setup, there's a lot of sales, but the only sale we had during setup was a scrubby puppy. Right, because usually (laughs) during setup you have vendors that purchase from other vendors, essentially, and people who are kind of in and helping and, uh, the vendors, they, they shop the show as well. Well, that's largely because Saturday night, we were not the star of the show. There was a vendor came in, carried in some large, eh, probably four foot long cases that I happened to see him carry them by and saw they were completely and totally jam packed with carded vintage figures carded vintage star wars figures yes so kind of followed him over to his table this guy literally brought in over 300 carded figures from all lines of vintage star wars so you're you're saying star wars empire return of the jedi and foreign and power of the force Okay, so he had things like tri-logo pieces. He also had a clear storage bin sitting behind his table that had in it a whole pile of the mail-away three and five packs. You know, the white boxes with the round stickers? But you don't see anybody with a bin with a whole pile of those in it. (laughs) Those are not cheap. And you also, you don't see 300 carded Star Wars figures at a show anymore. So these cases, when he would open the case, there would be three and four layers deep of figures just crammed so tight that the cards up against the bubble of its neighbor. And they were crazy. And I'm assuming that like everything else that we see at, at shows, you know, that are Star Wars related, especially vintage Star Wars related, they were probably selling for thousands of dollars, right? I mean, just way overpriced. Well, a lot of them had signs of being not exactly AFA 85s, but the cards were all nice. Many of them had kind of top crushed bubbles a little bit, but the prices on them were basically all 500 and less. So for example, as he's settling his case on the table, I look over and I grab the very first figure he sold, which was a 48A back FX7 for 125 bucks. Right. So the 48A is the offerless, and it's the only offerless 48 back figure. Um, they tend to be very desirable. I think they're you know they're pretty tough to find. So finding an FX7 like that, uh, how would you say the condition was for that one? Um, the card is probably a nine out of 10. The bubble is maybe a seven out of 10, but it's 125 bucks for a 48 a FX (laughs) seven. Yeah, no, you win. That is phenomenal. (laughs) I don't know a scenario shy of a cracked bubble where it's not worth that. If I were there, I would have fought you for it. (laughs) Like like an an old school fist fight. (laughs) And just carded empire figures that were non-empire characters so um say the first 21 on empire cards all 200 and less carded that's crazy 
Um, yeah, those seem to be 2009 prices. Yeah, it's it was staggering. So naturally, this guy drew a little bit of a crowd. Um, he was having a hard time setting up, so James asked everybody to dissipate so he can set up. But that crowd never really reassembled. I I understand that he had multiple lots that he sold of like 10 to 20 figures, but he ended that show with over half of those figures yet. Did and, they disappear during setup the next morning or were they still there for the show? They were still there for the show. He ended the show with them, which is very strange. Had that been almost any other show, that would have evaporated. But realistically, watching everybody during setup was like watching a bunch of hungry zombies. Um, everybody had just torn down in a hurried panic from Xenia. And it's like nobody had slept in two days. So this Cincinnati show had a lot of really spectacular stuff sitting out at it. And it seemed like it was going unnoticed. You and I had spoken about that earlier. And you, I think we both came to the same conclusion that um, a weekend like this, especially when you have a show the day before as well, and you have all these events like room sales and stuff, it can be Star Wars overload at times or toy overload. And just for perspective, Xenia is only about 25 minutes from Sharonville, which is where the Cincinnati one is. So they're in very close proximity and they're both pretty large shows. Now this was the largest Cincinnati show that I've seen. He really packed in the vendors, but almost all the customers I talked to had been at Xenia the day before. Um, several of the larger vendors who really know what they're doing made a concerted effort to have two entirely different stocks. Because so tearing down, sorting, and setting back up is not reasonable in the couple hours there between the end of Xenia and the start of Cincinnati. So most of them literally had like two different box trucks. Um, so the stuff they brought to Cincinnati was different. And there were multiple vendors at Cincinnati I've never seen before. They're not Star Wars dealers. They were just people that had stuff and were bringing it to sell it. And an awful lot of that stuff seemed to have gone unnoticed. Now, obviously, I picked up a fair number of things. <laughs> um, and what was bizarre, and this, this is really a testament to this particular show. My dad and I, that night... We're going through the loose figures we picked up. We only picked up maybe a dozen loose figures. Nothing spectacular, but good prices on things that either sell pretty well or might be a little bit better condition of a variant or something. We got them home. Literally, only one figure we picked up was a duplicate. We have been collecting since this stuff was still being produced. When you say duplicate, though, you're not talking about you know having two two one Bs or two hammerheads. No. You're talking about uh, variations, whether it's uh, from the, um, the the different country of origin on the figure or uh, something that that marks it as as substantially yeah. different. 
um, different accessories, different COO stamps, clearly different dies that they popped out of. Um, not that, not that I'm all that much of a variant hunter, but if I have two things in front of me and I try to decide which one to sell, it's going to be the one that I don't have another one of, which means by default, I'm a variant collector who just doesn't seek them. But what was bizarre is these non-dealers that were set up. So they're vendors that clearly had brought in, um, I think I talked to three of them, three of them that were comic book stores that have had enough trade-ins here in the Cincinnati area because Cincinnati is the home of all this vintage Star Wars stuff. They'd had enough trade-ins that it got to the point where they had to come to a show to try to unload it to get some of their money back. And those multiple comic book places, I would you know, go by and pick up a couple of vintage figures here and there. Almost every one of those figures, I think I ended up with like a Paplu that was just a normal Paplu. Everything else was a variant I hadn't seen. Right down to, I ended up getting two different orange cloaked squid heads that have two different unique COO stamps. Um, that's very atypical to me. When I pick up lots of figures, I expect that I may upgrade some things here and there, and the vast majority of them will either be then put out for resale, or they will displace something whose condition was lesser that then can go out for sale. That's how I pay for my obsessive collecting. <laughs> but it's, it's very weird for me to pick up an entire lot from a toy show. So everything at the end of the show to have nothing that is then a duplicate that can be sell, uh, sold. You mentioned that there were a number of pieces that you saw that, that went unsold. Um, what types of vintage Star Wars stuff did you see at the Cincinnati show? Um, I saw a lot of boxed. I saw some promotional stuff. So 12 back header displays with the box display. There were multiple of those there. Um, I saw one of the bell signs. Um, let's see what else. There were an awful lot of boxed ships. Some of them sealed, some of them not. I saw multiple Sears cantinas. Um, I saw one of the Cloud City playsets. Then there were a lot of Power of the Force figures that went unsold. And how did you do as far as sales? We sold almost no figures. Everything that we sold, with the exception of maybe a half a dozen pieces, what we sold were not figures. And that is atypical for us because we are largely a figure dealer. Financially, we did okay. Um, it wasn't the most stellar show we've had, but it's... About every other Cincinnati show isn't great for sales, but is amazing for buying. This one was good for buying, but it's like all the dealers there weren't catching that. It's like they were all walking around in a fog, 
unaware of the opportunities that were sitting in front of them. So is that a result of the toy in Star Wars collecting overload from the weekend? Or is it a general apathy right now? Or is it just that maybe people aren't buying? What what clues did you see during the weekend? A um, couple different aspects. To back up a month, we had the Columbus show. Um, there were some signs at the Columbus show that you can tell people are more financially strapped right now. Um, we really didn't sell a lot of figures at Columbus either. We did very well at Columbus, but we didn't sell a lot of figures. We did more some vehicles, play sets, and yeah, there was some loose baggied stuff. Not, not carded figures, not mint loose figures or baggied figures. Not even rare figures. I took one of the rarest figures at the entire show was in my case, and it's a it's a case warmer at this point. I've got a Brazilian glass light power of the force R2. And I didn't even have anybody stop and look. Um, which that's not something you ever see at a toy show. <laughs> that is a stinking rare figure. Right. And your prices, I believe, are are really fair and um, you know, really solid. So I'm I'm surprised that you know there wasn't anyone there that asked you either at during setup or at the show. But what we did sell a ton of were beater figures, the figures that don't stand up on their own. They're the Greedo's missing antenna, the things whose faces have the paint worn off, the boots that you know don't have toes anymore. Beater figures. We went through so many beater figures the last two shows um, to the point that I no longer have any beater figures. Would that have been from people purchasing them to resell them at a, at a store or at a booth? Or is that more of, of someone who's buying it to customize figures or uh, for kids to play with? I think it's people buying them because that's what they can afford right now. All the transactions that I've been seeing are not the high dollar transactions of a year ago when everybody was flush with COVID money. So I've been seeing a definite show fatigue. There are simply too many toy shows in too close proximity, both time and geographically. Um, People are getting show fatigue. And especially when, like, we in a month here had Columbus, then Xenia, and Cincinnati all in a row. And PowerCon, right? And PowerCon. And Cincinnati's Comic-Con was the week before. Um, that's a ton of shows for <laughs> these dealers to maintain. And this is the end of a cycle that doesn't really pick up until March when we get the Columbus right. show. So is it is it that we're, we've just hit the end of the cycle and everyone has that fatigue? Or is this a longer term thing, do you think, where going into next year, we're going to see a, a similar response to toy shows or to purchases? Um, that's a little hard to predict. This time of year. So when I said the Cincinnati show is often unpredictable and strange 
it's really the last show of the season for most of the dealers and buyers that come to it. So I've at Cincinnati shows, I've had times when I've done financially pretty well and the stuff that we were selling were larger ticket or foreign items. But that only happens about one out of every three Cincinnati shows. The other two, people are buying the paraphernalia more than the toys. And I usually do very well at Cincinnati for the custom things that I produce. It's like I've got a line of about 150 um, vintage three and three quarter scale figures that I produce. I largely do all the background droids, things that were never blessed by the figure fairy. And I also do a series of play sets and vehicles. I usually do pretty well at the Cincinnati show because it's the end of the season. People have already expended all of the money they're going to to enlarge their collection. They're tired. They've seen so much Star Wars in front of them the previous six months that now they're just looking for something fresh and different and fun going into winter. So March is typically the largest show that we have, March Columbus show. People are coming out of the winter. They've been hibernating. It's been cold and miserable. They're chomping at the bit to buy the coolest thing they can to start their season. And this year, I suspect March Columbus is going to be pretty good, but watching what's happening in Europe is probably going to have a significant effect on how good the March Columbus show is. You know, during COVID, people weren't spending their money on all of the ancillary things in life. They were staying home. They were saving money. They were looking for excuses to spend money and see people or at least converse with people and looking for ways to vent their anxieties. Then the government started filling people's bank accounts with easy money as part of stimulus um, stimulus checks. Many people desperately needed that money, but an awful lot of collectors have a little disposable income already. So that empowered them to really reach out there and pick up the things they've always wanted because their overhead costs were already lower and now they had extra money. So when the shows really started again last year, people were blowing just crazy amounts of money on stuff. And now we seem to be in a phase where we're in sort of the, the hangover portion after a yes. long night of drinking. This is the morning after. (laughs) (laughs) The prices have not substantially gone down, so they're contracting a little bit. But honestly, they need to because they had basically doubled in the second year of COVID. Prices on everything just went astronomical. They basically doubled. Now, there is one more strange thing that happened at Cincinnati this time. Now that I think about it. Um... Like I said, my parents have had a store for 50 years. 
this is the first show that I can think of that multiple vendors had collections surfacing that still bore our original price tags. That's amazing. <laughs> we had multiple vendors bring something over. Was this your price tag? Was this your price tag? Was this your price tag? Like, yes, it was. <laughs> Did you have any urge to purchase them back? I have a small collection of stuff with our own price tags on. Um, I've There's been a couple lots that people have brought to my attention. That, hey, this has all your store tags on it. Yeah, yeah okay, we want those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you and I have talked about doing a number of episodes in the future uh, about various topics, you know, especially, you know, the early days of, of Kenner collecting and then, um, you know, and just really kind of collecting over the last 40 years. So I look forward to having more of these chats with you, Tony. It's, it's always great to talk to you like this. And I thank you so much for taking out, you know, time today and, and to give me a, a fuller picture of what your experience was like at the Cincinnati Toy Show. Yep. You know, one of these days, we're actually going to talk about buying Toys R Us aisles. Oh, I can't yeah. wait for that. <laughs> that's, that's to come on Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Mike Esposito and Vicky Bitter, so nice to, to talk to you again. Uh, you are a couple of collectors, but really more importantly, you are a collecting couple, and I love that. Um, how are you both doing today? Doing all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very good. Thanks. It's really nice to talk to you, and I've been meaning to uh, to chat with both of you because I wasn't able to be there this year. Uh, I was there last year, and you kindly invited me to your home, and I had the absolute best time at your place. Uh, it was one of the nicer meetups that I can ever remember. Um, but how was the weekend for both of you? It was pretty eventful and stellar, as always. It, uh, it was definitely a, a hectic weekend with two toy shows going on in one weekend. <laughs> And this is the first time that we've had that, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yes, yeah, the first time Great Ohio and Cincinnati have ever fallen back to back. I don't know that it was the best situation for the vendors, but for those who traveled in and the Toy Explorer, uh, it was a fantastic weekend. Were you able to go to both of them? Uh, yes, we did. Oh, terrific. Okay. Um, so, Mike, what was the the Xenia toy show like for you, what was your experience going through that? Xenia show, it's very large. It's uh, seven separate buildings, uh, almost uh, 700 tables. And Xenia has a much bigger mix of toys where the uh, CTS show is more 1970s, 80s, 90s, you know, mainly with a Kenner Hasbro focus. Xenia is more of a mix where you'll see tin toys, you'll see old Western toys, uh, some old model trains, um, more dolls. Uh, it, it's a bigger mix at that show. And that makes sense. Uh, you have people coming in from, from all over and more than just vendors, right? You have people that are cleaning out their garages or their attics and, and bringing stuff to sell. 
Uh, yeah, I, I would say it's mostly vendors, though. A lot of oh. uh, more antique vendors and maybe a, a little mix, uh, almost uh, maybe like some flea market vendors might even make their way there, too. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Vicki, did you find anything while you were there this time? I did not find anything at the Xenia show, but one of the great parts of Xenia is that Route 68 Toys and their associated toy mall are right in Xenia as well. So I actually found a couple of gems at a great price at their toy mall on the way home. Oh, that's fantastic. What's the toy mall like? It's kind of a mini version of what you see in what I would call the smalls section of an antique mall. Um, They're just cases. So Route 68 maintains their toy store in one building, and then they bought out or rented out, I'm not sure, the building next door to that, where they allow people to fill smalls cases with toys, and they manage those sales for them. I'm assuming they either have a rental price or they're getting a cut off of the toys or both. But it's a nice chance for people who don't have enough toys to have a booth to have a place where they can sell them for public to see. So this really had to be incredible because you went from Xenia to to the the uh, sixty eight uh, toy mall to the room sales and and then <laughs> to the Cincinnati show. Um, what kind of stuff did you pick up at the uh, the toy mall? You know, I'm an Ewoks fan, so uh, Mike's Absolutely. Eagle Eye, Mike's Eagle Eye found a. Um, Ewoks Play-Doh set hiding in the back of a cabinet where the vendor was offering 40% off on the entire cabinet. So I got it for a great price and it's complete except for the Play-Doh that would have originally come, which is not a surprise. And one insert, it looks like when we got home, we realized there's one insert that would have held the Play-Doh that also is missing, but it's in fantastic played with shape. And the box was fairly nice one ripped flap but it displays beautifully in the ewok cabinets and then i also picked up a ewoks pez container which believe it or not is one of the little things that i hadn't yet added to the cabinet that was a few bucks yeah no that's great and i i love the uh, not only the the plate of set but the the art and the you know the packaging too so uh congratulations that's a great pickup it's it's funny that you didn't find anything at xenia Xenia, but you know just heading home uh you were able to pick that up, so that, that's good. And Mike, great job <laughs> picking out a 40% off item like that. That's great. Uh, I always look for a bargain. <laughs> Did you happen to find anything at Xenia? Actually, the only thing I bought was something that was more for Vicky's collection. I found a pack of Ewok balloons, a sealed pack. It was Oh, a, very uh, nice. An old drawing board uh, corporation. Uh, it was a five-pack. Which, funny enough, because the same weekend on eBay, I had found a six-pack of Ewok balloons. So I got both in the same weekend. Very cool. And those were both for Vicky? Uh, yeah, well, they're, they went into her cabinet. <laughs> okay, great. In between the shows, what types of events did you do during the weekend? Well, we hosted a smaller group of people this year, but we had a little get-together here at our house on Friday night to kick things off, and that's always wonderful because one of the beauties of a worldwide Star Wars group is that we get the opportunity to have friends come here, and we don't have a whole lot of collector friends locally outside of the people we know in the Collectors Club, so any chance to have others who 
appreciate what you're doing and want to share in it and want to hear stories is always a wonderful thing. Oh, we appreciate everybody who stopped by and love sharing our home. I give you both a lot of credit because um, to me, the the night at your house last year for Cincinnati was one of the most meaningful and special events of that weekend. And, and I think it was because, you know, it was really in um, how, how kind you both are, you know, and how much you, you truly care about others. And then also the details uh, that you put into hosting an event. Um, this was before your patio was renovated. Um, but, but you, so I, I can't wait to see it now cause I know it's going to be incredible. Um, but you had uh, a number of different, uh, food items, uh, for, you know, essentially for dinner, you had something special uh, to me cause I, I love s'mores. I love chocolate. Um, but you had, uh, basically all the ingredients to make s'mores and then you had a, a fire pit outside and I was able to sit around that fire and to talk to some friends. Um, so what, what kind of stuff did you guys do for this one? We scaled back just a little bit. We did uh, just one kind of chili this year, but we redid our Skyline Chili Bar, and we offered the chance to make three ways or to make a coney, whatever suited your purpose. We just went Skyline this year, no, though, no taste testing. Okay, well, that's great. That's very nice. And, and, and the s'mores uh, did make a comeback this year. <laughs> Can't go wrong with s'mores, right? Well, <laughs> I'm not a marshmallow fan, so... I would disagree with that. <laughs> Can you believe that? Like, I don't know any other person in the world that doesn't like marshmallow. So that's more <laughs> s'mores for me. I can understand though. Like if you have a pre- preference for chocolate and uh, for graham cracker, you can go with that as well too. But yeah, uh, I know marshmallows, they, they kind of, they're the glue that puts the whole thing together. So, <laughs> so why, why did you choose to host again this year? Well, the first year that I hung out with all of the, um, Star Wars people, because I didn't really have community until I joined the local Star Wars club in 2019 and started really meeting people in person through different conferences. My collecting happened in private, and meeting all those people was such a wonderful thing. The first time that I got invited to a pre-party was up at Kyle Rose's house in 2019, and I was just so impressed with the fact that he was willing to do that for everybody. And I met so many wonderful people that night in 2021, he had to cancel his get together. And that just, I felt like left a big gap in the weekend. One of the beauties of collecting is the friendships. So we saw an opportunity to give everybody that outlet and that place to visit. And it just seemed like the right thing to do. It it really means a lot um, because, you know, it, it, the kindness that both of you show, uh, it gives us another opportunity to hang out, you know, together as a result. And, uh, so that was, that was great, you know, to step in and, and to, uh, to fill in that, that void that otherwise, you know, would have been left, uh, with, with people kind of, you know, separating, going into their own groups and, and, you know, maybe not getting together on Friday night. Um, Mike, was there a moment that you can remember from, from that get together that really stuck out for you? Uh, not one moment. I, I mean, the whole the whole event was a was a moment in itself. The whole thing was enjoyable. I enjoyed meeting a few new people and seeing collector friends that I haven't seen in about a year or so. So, I, I would say overall, the whole thing was the moment. I know what you mean, and you know when people come into town like that, especially people from 
out of state and sometimes out of the country, um, it's just, you know, you, you want to savor every moment of it because it does go by pretty quickly and it's just every, every part of it is special. So definitely. Oh, well, congrats to both of you for doing that because that, that that's terrific. Uh, Vicki, do you have a, a special memory from it? I think Mandy Williams and Glenn Williams choosing to bring up some very rare Ewok items to show me was definitely a highlight for me. Um, they actually had, I don't know if I should call it a, a garage find or where they stumbled upon them, but they actually found two Ewok stuffed items that they believe were hand-stitched originals of the seamstresses trying to figure out the larger stuffed Ewok line. It was, is it a Wicked and a Latara, Mike? I'm trying to remember which two Ewoks it was. Uh, it was a Wicked and a Leany, I believe. They're really cool to look at. One had the head hand-stitched on. They both obviously hadn't been completely stuffed. They were clearly Kenner, but in design, but they were not the production samples that we're used to seeing. And they brought them up here to try and get some opinions from more skilled collectors. And the consensus is that there's no provenance, but they do look like early prototypes that may have even just been skins that were stuffed and sewn closed later. So almost like a rough sketch or just, uh, I guess, a a seamstress sample? Would you call it something like that? Where it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's someone trying to get a feel for what they're about to create. That's how it struck me because neither one of them is particularly beautiful, but they're beautiful <laughs> in their own right. If that makes any sense. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yes. So what were room cells like? It was um, a little smaller than last yeah. year, I think. Did you find anything there? Uh, we did not purchase anything. <laughs> we saw a few things we liked, but uh, was, we passed on them. <laughs> we did pick up a Kenner employee item, oh, yeah, I did that, that. but that's not a Star Wars item. It was actually a Schaefer pen that was distributed for the Care Bears line, and I have a Care Bear cabinet that it makes a very cool addition to. Oh, that's really and those are the kinds of pieces that anytime I think of room sales, I always think of something like that, something that's on the fringes that you don't normally see at at shows or uh, you know really anywhere, um, and it just it kind of turns up at special events like that. I think one of my favorite parts is watching everyone swarm the next person who begins unpacking boxes at the table. Like, <laughs> Everyone is swarmed around Todd Osborne as he is unpacking boxes, and then the whole crowd shifts to Sean Lemkel's table as he starts <laughs> unpacking boxes. And there were a number of very expensive items that I debated, but they are not the, the expensive items that I ended up choosing for the weekend. Sure, and I find even if you don't purchase them, it is nice to see them at a, at a show. Um, well, that's good. So my, you must have been exhausted. Both of you must have been exhausted by by Saturday night. Oh, Saturday uh, night turned into quite an event. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why was that? Uh, th thanks to Steve Dwyer, we were invited to look at an incredible collection um, and to see a toy studio um, for Steve Fink, who I did not know prior to Saturday night. And I'll let Mike give his impressions, but it was an incredible evening for me and I feel honored to have gone. Uh, it was just an amazing collection. Uh, 
I can't even mention some of the items he had there. Uh, some of them were one of a kind items. Some of them were maybe three or four item, uh, three or four known to exist items. It, it was just amazing. But uh, we were out at his collection until about 2 a.m. <laughs> so it, it was quite the night. Oh, that's fantastic. So it was, was it, is it a studio or is it a, a home collection? Uh, well, it, he, he's, he owns a design, a toy design studio that we started at. And then we ended up going to uh, his home to see the, <laughs> the main part of his collection. Okay. And then just for anyone listening, um, you know, cause I know we can't talk about specifics, but can you give us a, like a general idea, like of, of what kind of lines you're talking about? Was it one specific line or was it broader was it vintage or modern it was mostly vintage and it spanned many lines (laughs) it was a a pretty good focus on star wars but it it went to other toy lines also i think that's what i appreciated about it most because you kind of get a glimpse into somebody's collecting mindset um or what i told steve is it's a chance to glimpse his inner child um he collects similar to the way that I collect, which is the things that have brought you joy and that continue to bring you joy. And I loved seeing someone else who, uh, at his caliber, was finding unique items that struck him from all different parts of his childhood, including some like amazing pinball machines and things (laughs) that went beyond toys. And I think it's great, too, because you both live in the Cincinnati area or around the Cincinnati area. And you know, sometimes it takes an event like this where people are coming in, you know, collectors are coming in from all over and then you're able to get together in a spot and then go somewhere where you've never been before. Um, and, and, uh, so it was nice that you, you had a chance to, uh, to meet Steve and to, um, to check out his collection. Yeah. Uh, and he is just, he's the most gracious guy. I, I think that's what strikes me every time someone is nice enough to let us see what they collect and how they choose to express that collecting passion. It's always the nicest people who are welcoming and excited to tell you about why they have what they have. And Mike and Vicki, I could say the same thing for both of you because um, I, I felt closer to you and more connected with each of you um, when, when you took me on a tour of your collection at your house last year. And I, I know it, it made a real impact on me. And um, so I, I, I can understand how you'd feel after, after seeing his collection and having that impromptu uh, visit to, uh, to the studio and then to his, his collection. That, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was also very cool to see a little of the modern toy process that he shared with us through his design company. And we got to see a huge collection of the things that they have invented, hear a little about how they work and how they pitch their ideas to the different uh, toy manufacturers, what makes a good toy and what doesn't. It was a whole side of toys that I've never had the chance to be exposed to. So it was very cool to see somebody still doing the work that Kenner did to inspire my childhood. That's incredible. And you really couldn't have picked a better weekend to, to explore it, you know, right? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> How was the Cincinnati Toy Show the next morning for you, Mike? It was fun. Everybody was a little tired. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a good show. Uh, you know, again, more focus on Kenner and 
Star Wars and Hasbro and G.I. Joe's and but uh, I did not buy anything but it, it was uh, I really enjoyed walking around and looking at everything and Vicky did you find anything or were you just happy to walk around after your purchases on Saturday oh no I found a way to spend the money I didn't spend on Saturday night. <laughs> oh, terrific. Okay. She was the big spender this weekend. Oh, okay. Uh, any Anything in particular? I bought a ship that I didn't actually think I would ever get to own. Um, I have had 10 of the 11 vintage die-cast Star Wars ships for quite a while and had honestly marked the TIE bomber down as something that I would never own but I didn't spend money on the two things that tempted me Saturday night. So when I saw the Thai bomber, I immediately felt like that was the thing that was going to make me smile the most. Um, (laughs) The other items that I considered were both equally cool and actually pre-production. One was a roto mold for the, the paint wicket the little paint figure that was a blow mold and you got like a set of paints to go with it where you painted it yourself oh todd osborne actually had a roto mold of that that tempted me and sean lemkel had a first shot of the wicket that came with the kenner preschool fire cart which also tempted me (laughs) but while both were cool the tie bomber was what made my heart smile so i sat around and debated the first two for quite a while on saturday evening and sat there waiting for them to disappear, hoping that someone would make my job easier. <laughs> but when I spotted that Thai bomber, I'm like, this makes me smile. And it made me smile all the way home. I carried it to lunch with me when I met up with people for lunch. I, it's a blessed addition to the cabinet upstairs, and I'm glad to have it. It's in very nice condition. The problem with the tie bomber is that everyone you see is it, the 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 body of it yellows and um you know and that just it seems to happen to everyone i saw a picture of yours when you had posted it and it looks incredible it's right? one of the nicest ones i've ever seen i feel exactly the same way <laughs> it's got very light yellowing to the wings and just a small amount of paint damage over top of the cockpit. Other than that, it doesn't look like it was played with. And that's part of the reason I couldn't walk away from it. I'm glad you were able to pick it up. Um, so after the show, was was that the end of the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend for you? Or did it continue a little further? Uh, we had lunch with uh, a couple of the friends from the Georgia group. And... Uh, uh, after lunch, we made a trip to the toy department to see if there was anything interesting there. <laughs> and uh, I think that wrapped up the Cincinnati Toy Weekend. By that time, we were truly exhausted. <laughs> that Wow, that's, that's amazing. And I love the fact, again, that you were able to to hit so many different events and, and, and shops and shows uh, in the span of, you know, really like two, two or three days. Um, do each of you have a a standout moment from the entire weekend or, or you know something that just that you'll always take with you whether it was a, a personal connection with someone or uh, again a pickup or anything like that I think Steve Fink's house would be the pinnacle of my weekend both because I connected with some collectors that I haven't previously spent personal time with um, 
and because I got to really witness a, a top-notch collection to see some pieces that I'm not sure I ever would have been exposed to otherwise. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, there was about 10 or 12 great collectors there, and seeing his collection was amazing, and he was an amazing person, so down-to-earth, and it was just a great time. That was probably the highlight of my weekend. That's fantastic. Well, you've made me more jealous now. So thank you both. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're going to have to make it out here next year then. Oh, I'm planning. I'm planning 2023 Cincinnati. Absolutely. Um, but it, it, it does sound like, um, you know, the experience was a really positive one for both of you, which is great. And and you're also blessed that, you know, you're able to to walk through this weekend together and to experience it uh, together as a couple, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, we are. I, I, I feel I am. I have a partner to do it with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always grateful that Mike is my person, is what I call him. He's my <laughs> cohort in all things, and we manage to have a good time no matter where we are. But the fact that we can share that passion for toys really makes things special. It really is. Well, I look forward to seeing you both next year in Cincinnati. I hope to see you sooner than that, but I, I'm really, uh, I, I missed, I missed being there this year and, uh, I, I do look forward to, to getting back. And, uh, you know, especially when you talk about things like the impromptu meetups, like after the room sales, I mean, that's just something that it's an experience that you really can't get anywhere else. Um, and I, I, I love that, you know, this was an action packed weekend for both of you. And yet you had some wonderful um, moments as well too. Um, was there, in addition to, to Steve meeting Steve, was there anyone else that you met this weekend that maybe you didn't know before? Quite a few people actually. Um, it was, um, Steve Dwyer, uh, Travis Hoffman came to our house. Uh, Sean Burrell came to our house. Uh, we've Tony never Johnson. met them before. Yeah. Um, James McCallum was there who I hadn't met, even though I own his book. <laughs> um, well, David White. So yeah, there were quite a few people I've met that I've known through Facebook or social media, but I've never met in person. Uh, I can tell you, uh, from my experience, they're all wonderful people <laughs> and it's, it's really nice to know that, uh, that you were all able to spend that weekend together. If you were talking to somebody who maybe hadn't been to Cincinnati before and was considering coming next year, what would you say to them? It's like my mini celebration. I don't know how else to explain it to people because I get that same feeling that I get when I go to celebration, except it's not such an expensive weekend. Um, and I'm a bit spoiled by living in Cincinnati, but on top of having the wonderful show, all the people that come to visit, that chance to really reconnect with other collectors, you also have the city of Cincinnati and its rich Kenner history that you can add to your weekend plans. I always encourage people to plan for more than just the weekend. You know, Try to come in Thursday and have a day or so to experience our Kenner history, our food culture, a uh, little bit of our our downtown area, in addition to the toys, because I think Cincinnatians are complacent about it, but there's a wonderful set of stuff. And I always 
open myself up for tours too. I get told I'm one of the better Cincinnati <laughs> tour guides. So if anybody wants to be taken around to the Kenner history spots or have somebody to guide them, I'm always happy to pitch in and go back around and be a tourist in my own town. That is very true. She makes an excellent tour guide. <laughs> and Mike, if you were going to share with somebody, what would you say to them? I would say the social aspect probably is the best part of the sh- of the weekend, even over the toys. And the toys are amazing, and it's fun to see them. It's even more fun to buy something for yourself. But meeting collectors from all over the country and even – a few that made it from outside the country. It's, it's a great feeling. Uh, she had, Vicki made a, a great point. It is like a mini celebration. It really feels like that. It feels like the best parts of celebration and you don't have to wait in line for anything. <laughs> Absolutely. That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicki and Mike, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to me today. I, I love you both. And, uh, I, I really, I am excited for, uh, for, for next year's event. Uh, it, it's it's so nice to hear your perspectives and uh, and your your take on the weekend, and it, it really just sounds like a fantastic one. Well, thank don't, you. Don't forget to explore some of the other shows that occur that happen in this region outside of the CTS show. Like, there's a lot of opportunities to come to Cincinnati, which again, I didn't realize how blessed I was. But CTS holds two shows in Columbus, one every spring and another at the end of every summer. That's a great show and only an hour from Cincinnati. And then the Xenia show is also held twice a year. So they'll actually do that at the end of March as well. If you want another toy experience, there's plenty to be had. That's wonderful to know. Yeah. And then I think PowerCon is another one. And um, yeah, there, there are quite a few in that area. Uh, so for, for collectors, I mean, you know, there's always something happening in, in the yeah. Cincinnati area. And not to mention, there's a whole slew of vintage toy shops here in Cincinnati. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, there are certainly enough. I mean, you could just, you don't even have to go for a show. You could just visit all the the toy malls and uh, toy shops there. Exactly. (laughs) There is actually a graphic that we put up on BP at one point. If anybody has interest in it and can't find it, I'm happy to share. But uh, Great Ohio actually put together a, a map that they call the Ohio toy trail that shows you where every vintage vendor is. That's got a brick and mortar store between here and Youngstown. Oh, that's fantastic. You know what? If you wouldn't mind, uh, if you want to share that with me, I can, I can post it on the, um, on the podcast and, uh, I'll, I'll include it, uh, an image of it if you have it. Yeah. I think I've got a PDF of it. I'll send it over to you. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, well, it was wonderful talking to both of you. I really look forward to seeing you again, and I hope it's much sooner rather than later. But um, but I'm excited about Cincinnati next year. I think we're going to have a great time. You're one of the collectors that makes this community a great thing. So thank you for the podcast. Thank you for being such an excellent member of the community. We really hope you'll come back and see us next year. Oh, I have to see the new renovation as well, too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, have a fantastic one. Thank you. You too. Enjoy your weekend.
My thanks to Tony Kramer, Vicki Bitter, and Mike Esposito for giving us a fuller picture of what the Cincinnati weekend was like this year. And a belated thank you to Dan Uthman and David Kevin White for taking time out to chat for part one. I've really enjoyed these conversations and have one more episode coming soon that features more stories from Cincinnati. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Conversations about the Cincinnati Toy Show Weekend. And thank you in advance for leaving a review of the podcast. I have some really interesting episodes lined up for you through the end of the year, and I look forward to exploring the galaxy together, here on Star Wars, Prototypes and Production.